We are Living by the Word Ministries, a nonprofit organization dedicated to one cause. That cause is the truth given in the Holy Bible, which we believe is the inerrant and infallible Word of God, conferred to man to live by. We let the Word of God be the final authority as to what is or is not true. We strongly feel that if we do not expose false doctrine, we only encourage it. This ministry is designed to challenge you from an apologetic point of view. 1 Peter 3.15 instructs us to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is Michael Tinsley. Please stay tuned while we arm you, the believer, to keep living by the word. It's the noble thing to do. Good evening and welcome to all of our listeners, wherever you may be, however you may be listening. Thank you for joining the Bible Information Brokers. My name is Brian Allen, and for the next two hours, we are here to answer your open, honest Bible questions. I do want to say Merry Christmas to everyone. We are, boy, just a little bit under two hours away from Christmas, uh, celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, you can start dialing right now. Eric is uh, here to take your calls, get you set up to uh, get your questions on air so we can get them answered. And the toll-free number for you to call is one la talks That's one 528 2557 I'm going to give that number a few more times. one la talks one 528 2557 Now, if you heard something in church today, uh, if you heard something in a Bible study if you had any discussions, say with Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, atheists, Muslims, uh, people in the Word Faith movement, uh, whomever that you have had a question uh, that had a question about, give us a call. Again, that number is toll free one triple eight L A talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. It is Christmas time of the year. People have a lot of questions about Christmas, uh, maybe about was Jesus born on the twenty fifth. Uh, you know, um, we talked about it last week, the tree, uh, is, is it pagan or is it good for Christians to, um, have a Christmas tree? So, uh, give us a call and just any questions you have about the Bible, one triple eight LA talks, one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Right now I want to introduce my good friend, Professor Craig Hawkins. Craig, how are you doing, my friend? Ryan, good evening. You sound a little worn out. <laughs> oh, sorry. Long day, long night. That's life. <laughs> okay. What, what, what's, that, what, what's the movie called? The Never-Ending Story? <laughs> well, um, anyway, thanks for uh, coming. We're being aboard with us again, Craig. Uh, you're going to be leaving in uh, what, next week, is it? For a couple uh, weeks? This, well, this, no, this week. Three days. Three days. Okay. Wednesday. All right. And uh, definitely we want our uh, listening audience to uh, always be uh, keep Professor Hawkins in prayer. Craig, why don't you kind of share where you're going to be going to this trip? Yeah, thanks, Brian. Actually, uh, all things equal, next time this week I'll be in Malaysia. I'm actually going to uh, to Cambodia first for just a few days and then then to hopping over to Malaysia and then coming back to Cambodia and then going to Thailand and then back to Cambodia again three times. So, any rate, yeah, this is stuff I do at the university where I teach, and uh, we do work in the encouraging ministries, helping them. Uh, NGOs are called non-government organizations, and 
most of the good work and stuff that's done in many countries is done by Christian organizations, not exclusively, but the bulk of it. And so we go over there and you know, we introduce our students, show them what, what's going on with human trafficking. You see it firsthand, these young kids and that who were prostituted, uh, many times by, by their parents. Mm. Um, you know, not so much by Mr. and Mrs. Pimp as in here in the United States, but over there it's a different game. Uh, sad, just as sad, if not worse. But uh, we deal with that and a number of issues, but again, we go to help and encourage and equip um, NGOs and uh, ministries. They're doing great work, but I mean, as far as Many of them have legal needs um, and dealing with the government and, and so on and so forth. Uh, they need help. And so we go over there to help equip them, help them better do the great job they're already doing. And, again, it's an exposure for our, our folks to really see it. You know, you, you talk about this child prostitution, and I hate to say it until you've uh, – I'm not saying everybody should be, but when you get, when you get propositioned by a 10-year-old, you understand how serious this stuff is. When everywhere you go, people are trying to sell you drugs or uh, boys, girls, women, men, what have you. Uh, the hotels are all in on it. Uh, uh, officially, prostitution is illegal in Cambodia. Well, whatever. It's it's everywhere. I tell folks, you know, take you to the red light district. Well, that's the whole city. So, um, practically. <laughs> so, at any rate, you well. know, it just yeah, it's just real. I mean, it's it's heavy, but it was, uh, but we get to go and uh, help and encourage folks who are doing a great work and uh, many ministries and organizations that we we're, we work with and send students over there for long uh, longer-term internships and uh, deal with a number of government agencies and so on and so forth. So it's an incredible trip, very impactful. Uh, they'll be busy. Yeah, typically I'd leave the day right after Christmas. Uh, some of the folks are leaving actually tomorrow. I said, no, I'm married. I have kids. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be home and through Christmas, at least uh, till Wednesday, and I'll take off and then be gone for uh, two, two and a half weeks. So my last broadcast uh, this year, Brian, for me, last one for, this year for me, at least. And, uh, you know, it's looking forward to visiting with folks tonight and, and talking, sharing, and whatnot. But, yeah, I appreciate people's prayers for me uh, because there's a lot of issues in what we deal with. And uh, so I always appreciate people's uh, prayers to God for us and uh, for traveling mercies and for effectiveness in our ministry and and what we do and you know there's a kind of an old saying sometimes you know people or governments don't do it's right until they feel the pressure they have to get squeezed sometime and cambodia like other nations an asian culture and it's a it's honor shame culture and one does not want to be shamed but sometimes you have to shame somebody uh for example the government because uh, they do things they have in writing in their constitution, you know, a lot of great things in place, but they don't, they don't follow through. They don't do right. anything, or very little. And uh, by the way, they just a couple of weeks ago, I think I mentioned this already. They had the Supreme Court outlawed the opposition party. In other words, there's only one party in town, and there are many of them, uh, the the People's Communist Party of Cambodia, uh, who were loyal to the so-called Prime Minister. Um, are also on the Supreme Court, and so the, the, the fix was in, I would argue. i got to be careful. I can't talk like, like this in Cambodia. I would get kicked out of the country or worse. Um, you can't do this. Uh, but so it, it's just a lot of issues going on, and we need to be praying for these folks and for the best of these folks and for the gospel to have free reign. And, again, it just it, it, it brings joy to your heart, but at the same time sadness. You see the effective ministries of so many Christian organizations who are ministering, particularly to children, Brian, giving them an education, a place to live, 
teaching them life skills so they can have a vocation uh, so they're not out on the streets. And uh, anyways, you just see these young souls, and, and you think, you know, these kids, like uh, last time, came bounding down these stairs out of the classroom. And uh, you know, so many years ago, these kids would have been, both of them would have been being prostituted. Wow. Um, so it just, you know, breaks your heart. Uh, yeah. but, but at the same time, you're thankful for those who God has moved and stirred his people to, to be a blessing to others and to, you know, radically reach out and be a blessing to them. And there's many that do that, and we're thankful for them and want to do all we can to help and encourage them. Amen. Thank you so much for that, Professor. So again, other, than that, stay in home, other than that, just stay at home local. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, again, please uh, keep Craig in your uh, in your prayers. Um, uh, we got a note from Bobby from Carson. Want to say Merry Christmas? Merry Christmas to you, Bobby. Thank Great. you so much, uh, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. I'll, I'll try to tell it, give you the schedule. I, I emailed and sent a text out today, uh, but today is going to be our last live show of the year. Okay, next week uh, we are going to have a recorded show, and that's primarily because. Um, when uh, we go off the air next week, everyone's going to be saying Happy New Year's. And so uh, uh, we just want everyone to be able to be home with their families and everything else. Uh, so tonight's going to be our last live show. So uh, give us a call, okay? one la talks one 888 And I'll, I'll take comments this week, too, if you guys want to uh, uh, share on, on uh, what the show has meant to you over the years. And uh, uh, definitely... Uh, you know, you can give us a call and, and, and give a comment as well. Uh, again, that number is one triple eight LA Talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Eric is our screener tonight, doing a phenomenal job, and I got to give it to him. He uh, he did camera and audio work for five services today at Core Church, five of them, uh, three Christmas uh, um, uh, uh, shows. Now I don't want to say shows, but services, three Christmas services, and two of the regular services this morning. Uh, just got finished. Um, uh, the last one at 7.30, he started, he probably got out of there 9, 9.30, and then came down here and he's screening. So he's worn out, and praise God, and thank you for people like Eric, uh, who's just committed. Uh, but he is waiting for your phone calls, one la talks one And today, you know, today's a good time to have questions about Christmas. Again, we talked a little bit about the origin of the tree. Uh, some people have questions about the ornaments. Is it biblical? Um, uh, you know, uh, was Jesus born in December, you know, stuff like that. And, and, you know, non-Christians will question you on that stuff and say, well, that's the reason why, you know, it's not true. And so, uh, it's good to know those things, uh, and resources where you can look those up. The toll-free number, once again, one triple eight la talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. This is our last live broadcast of the year, and uh, definitely would like to hear from you. Uh, right now, we are going to go to the Laverne area. Let me see if I can get this mouse working. Uh, there we go. We're going to go to the Laverne area and talk to Lewis. Let's see if we get Lewis up there. Lewis, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Great. Your question for this evening, Lewis. Okay, I had two questions. The first one is uh, um, there's a pastor in Orange County who mentioned that Jesus on the Christ, I mean, Jesus on the cross died both physically and spiritually. And the spiritual part didn't get, you know, didn't hit right. So I, I wondered if, what Professor uh, uh, Craig Hawkins would say about that. And the second question is uh, the same pastor says that we're declared righteous 
but we don't become righteous until the second coming. Okay. Uh, yeah, Lewis, if you could turn yeah. your, your radio down a little bit, and I'm going to professor um, I deal with your questions. Okay. Okay. Is it turned down? Yeah, it's turned down. Okay, good. Craig, what what about did Jesus die? We know he died physically, but did he die spiritually? Right, and, and to answer to both of those questions, Lewis, depends on what he means by that. I'd have to, uh, you know, I'll wax elephants here in a moment, but uh, it would depend what he means by that. Uh, but let's deal with those in turn. Did Christ die spiritually? I mean, physically, yes, he died. Absolutely, that's the whole point. If he doesn't die physically, he didn't pay the penalty for our sin. But died spiritually. In some sense, was Christ was Christ um, uh, separated from the Father as far as fellowship? First of all, you can't really be separated from God because He is God. People keep forgetting that He's not just the one who atones for sin. He's the one also who we who we offended. He is God the Son, not the Father, not the Holy Spirit, but He's God the Son. And so He's not just there, you know, against His will or something. It's His, his will as well. Uh, we've offended him as well, and so Christ uh, does die physically uh, for us. He is separated in the sense of fellowship, not relationship, but fellowship with the Father. In some some sense, some significant sense, that is inter- interrupted. I would argue never has been from all eternity, and more than likely never will be again. But it was at that time. Uh, so only if you mean somebody means in that sense. But if you, if someone means in a more profound, radical sense that Jesus died spiritually, that's just. That's just flat-out wrong. I mean, uh, that's like Fred Price and others and the word faith movement saying Jesus died and had to be born again. Uh, that's blasphemy. Um, that, with all due respect, uh, they may mean it in very sincere and pious terms, but that's just unbiblical. Um, so when you, when you die spiritually, that's what Adam and Eve did when they per, for, uh, partook of the, of the fruit. Uh, when they disobeyed God, they died spiritually. That the second death, they were separated from God. I sort of say second death, that's actually eternal separation, that for, forever and ever. But they were separated from God, they died spiritually. And so if that's what he means, no, a categorically not. No, 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 a thousand times no. Christ never died spiritually. How would that, he would have had to sin? So even the passage where they'll quote, well, you know, it said he becomes sin. That, that's, you have to understand, we have to understand figures of speech. Uh, idioms, you write, like if I say, that guy's off the wall, or he went off the deep end, or whatever. I, I don't necessarily mean that literally. Uh, it's figurative, but it has a literal meaning, ultimately. But so, Christ, uh, that's a figure of speech. Christ doesn't become sin, but he's, he paid the penalty for our sins. He paid uh, the price. He ransoms us. He redeems us. He is the atoning sacrifice. Um, so, uh, this is an area where there's a lot of stuff said that by people who mean well, but it's just really unbiblical uh, in saying Jesus died spiritually. Uh, you're saying, so Jesus sinned? Think of that. How, how could God sin? And if he sinned, he would need a Savior himself. Um, so there's really real real problems with this. And then now on the, on, on the second issue um, that, that, that you brought up as well, again, it depends what one means. Now, positionally, it's what's called positional righteous. We are already, we have been declared righteous. So, whether it's uh, Romans three twenty eight, Romans five two five nine, Titus three four through seven, uh, literally dikaiosintes from from the Greek uh, word dikaiosune, 
that we, having been declared, or having been justified, having been declared righteous, or having been justified, those three words would uh, really bring across this er- what's called an heiress participle. So it is absolutely true, we have been declared righteous, not will be, already have been, we already are. But now we do talk about practical righteousness, or practical sanctification, so holiness. So positionally, we're as righteous and holy as we're ever going to get uh, before God, because God is imputed, like gives him that beautiful Greek word, well, it doesn't sound beautiful, but it is, that he's credited to us righteousness, as he did to Abraham, because he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. I believe that's Genesis 15. Uh, it is. Uh, that's verse 2 or 8, trying to remember, but it's one of those. Um, but at any rate, but yeah, practically we're growing. That is an actual sanctification. So salvation has been given to us. Sanctification is an ongoing process till the day we die. And then we are growing, hopefully in holiness. We are growing. We are actually uh, m- more and more mirroring the holiness that we've been called to. So if he meant that, then that's, that would be true. But if it me- it's meant in any other sense that somehow we're trying to earn or still merit or accrue righteousness, then that would be flat-out false. So again, if it's somehow we haven't arrived at our salvation, that is, we need to do our part, we need to get on the works righteous treadmill and earn or merit it, absolutely not. But yeah, if he's making the distinction here on the second point between the, what again is called positional righteousness versus practical righteousness, um, yeah, that's a definitely, a bib- I would argue, a biblical distinction. So you just want to, I'd want to talk to this person, I mean, maybe you just heard it on a sermon on the radio or something, or TV, but if I was there and I had access to him, I would be asking them point blank, or someone on staff there, what does he mean by these two things? Lewis, did that help you out? Yeah, it sure did, yeah. Yeah, thank you. You know, it just didn't hit me right about uh him dying spiritually, but, you know, he said that if he didn't die spiritually, he couldn't be our Savior, and um, it just didn't sound right, but, you know, yeah. What yeah, you well, he, to got, he, got, he got it exactly backwards. If he died spiritually, he couldn't be our Savior. You know, there's, there's, I, I just want to be careful. I want to say just two things here. We'll appreciate the way you've asked this, but two things. You know, there's some things that are in-house discussions. We can disagree about church government or... Uh, the perpetuity spiritual gifts or uh, the signed gifts, so on and so forth. Those are in-house discussions between, between among godly intelligent people. But there are some things that are not really in-house debates. They're just flat-out wrong. Now, there's Christians who say these things. I'm not saying he's not a Christian, but they're wrong. I mean, I'll give you an example. I've heard a lot of sermons this last week or two about uh, Joseph and Mary and the baby being in the manger and how they were forsaken and far away from family. It's like, that's not true. Uh, why did he go to Bethlehem? Because that's where he was from. That's where his family, their family was originally from. More than likely, they were staying with family. And if not, then okay, some friends or, or what have you. But a lot of people don't even understand what people's homes were like in the first century, how they often, there was often what we would call a stable or the, uh, if you will, attached right to the house where the animals would stay. There's an upper story and a, a main level, and then there's a lower level where the animals would be. And because of the laws regarding cleanliness, babies almost always were born out in, out in, 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 the, in the stable. That was a nor- the way a normal child, an average individual, was born. Not the up, you know, up and inners, the high and mighty, the rich, but, but the average person. So it wasn't like Jesus was necessarily forsaken. And, and, and it's not as if Joseph delivered the baby. The midwives would have done that. I mean, so w- here's my point. L- a lot of good pastors, 
but a lot of goofy things were said this week. And I was just like, oh, come on, guys. You know, the, these stories are painting the picture of Jesus and how he was born, and a lot of them were just flat-out wrong, what they said. And we know, we know that uh, the, the studies are in how babies were typically born, and Christ was born in a very typical manner. And so, again, the odds are Joseph and Mary were with family, right? That's why they returned to that area for the taxing, because they, they go where they were born, they're where they're from. And typically you stay with family, but, but since they're the, probably they're younger, they're lower on the social status, you know, other family members were probably there as well, and they would have got the upper room, what we'd call the upper room, and the, and the other rooms, which are the nicer ones, and they being low on the pecking order, the totem pole, would have got uh, the, the, that area, and or that's where babies were born because they didn't want the house defiled because because when the baby was born with the afterbirth and all the the breaking of the water and then the afterbirth uh, that place would have been considered unclean so they they tried to keep it out in the stalls um, and that's where babies were typically born so at any rate you know I, I don't write these guys off but it just you just go come on guys you we need to do our homework a little better there are Christians who mean well. There's Christians in ministry who mean well, who say sometimes some pretty silly things. All right. Lewis, thank you so much for your call. Good question. All right. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You are listening to the Bible Information Brokers. My name is Brian Allen with Professor Craig Hawkins. we got some open lines. Let's take advantage of it. This is our last live call, our last live show of the year next week. Um, We're going to have a recorded show on there, but tonight is our last live show. Uh, the toll-free number, one triple eight la talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Eric is here to answer your calls, get you set up so you can get your question answered. one triple eight five two eight two five five seven. If you want to email us, you can just go to our website. Go to BibleInfoBrokers.com, BibleInfoBrokers.com. Click on the link. That says uh, uh, questions and uh, type your question in and we'll get it. One triple eight L A talks. One triple eight five two eight two five five seven. We do have a uh, uh, a question, an email question, Craig, and it says, um, "How did the sixty six books of the Bible get their names? Some are names after people." And after, and others are names such as Deuteronomy, Exodus, and Numbers. Uh, and this is have a very Merry Christmas. And that's from, uh, uh, was it Robagoa? Anyway, uh, Craig? Yeah, a lot of them, most, some of them, many of the books didn't even have a name. They were just given after the fact. Um, so, and if you read them in the original languages, whether Hebrew or Greek, uh, again, the, we have to supply words. If you've ever translated uh, one language to another, whether, let's say, you know, to Spanish or French or German, you realize you can't often get some, often, many, but sometimes you can't get a word-for-word translation. They have words, you have languages that we don't, or vice versa. Sometimes we have to use multiple words to convey one word in another language, or, again, vice versa, what have you. But they're often given after the fact, the idea... Uh, for example, in, in Greek, you know, you'd have kata, according to um, uh, Matthew, if you will, and John and that. So, so many of the names were given after the fact. Most of the times, uh, the authors did not put a name on the book. It didn't have a book. It was a letter. It was an epistle. It was the uh, New Testament were being blotted, but were epistles or letters sent to people. And typically, you don't put a title on a letter when you send it to somebody, even today. 
Uh, and so some of them, so the names, of course, Genesis is just, of course, again, the origin, right? Genesis beginnings, if you will. It's interesting, of course, the, the Old Testament, predominantly what we call the Old Testament, written in Hebrew, excuse me, um, but some of the names are Greek, like Deuteronomy means the second Deuteros, right? Uh, namas uh, uh, is, is law, and the second giving, second telling of the law, if you will. So these were just names that the Church and or our Jewish friends or the Church supplied after the fact to, to help them have a handle on how to, you know, uh, what you were referring to. If, if you say letter Paul, well, Paul wrote a bunch of letters, so which letter are you talking about? So then names like you know, to the Thessalonians or to the Corinthians, if you will, uh, most of them are added after the fact. And this was just done through a historical process, and it was done simply to help identify you know, what letter or what uh, work you were referring to. Uh, so that's a big part of it with both the Old and the New Testament. That's a great question. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, let me give you the number again. This is our last live broadcast of the year. Definitely want you to call us with your open, honest questions. Um, the toll-free number is one la talks one 888 Eric is... Uh, uh, Standing by, waiting to get your call. Don't wait till the last 10, 15 minutes to give us a call before the end of the broadcast. Give us a call now, one la talks one 888 Okay, Craig, we're going to go to um, the L.A. area, and we're going to talk to Adele. Adele, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you guys? Doing great. Your question for this evening. Yes, um, I have this guy who uh, is very firm in believing that uh, most or every single one of Jesus' miracles can be explained um, in the sense that they were staged or that him and the person that he was healing were in some form or type of agreement. Um, So I just want to call in and see if I can get um, something that I can tell this guy to get him out of thinking that. Yeah, sure. Uh, this is not an uncommon claim. It's been around for a while. There's a couple of problems with with the uh, the, the claim. Um, right, there's a guy named Ian Wilson, for example, and he wrote a book, uh, something to the effect of Jesus the Magician. And, and, and his claim, Ian Wilson, among others, was that, yeah, uh, everything Jesus did was really sleight of hand. It was prestidigitation. It was... Magic in the sense not of actually the, the occult, often spelled magic with a K, but this is what, you know, Kreskin or the Amazing Randy or whoever, uh, Penn and Teller, whoever one's favorite, you know, sleight of hand uh, artist is, that's all it really was. Jesus is just working the crowd. Um, and so that's the claim. Now, and, and, and the idea would be Jesus is, I mean, bluntly, he's just getting over on people. I mean, there's no nice, nice way to say this. If Jesus did this, he deceived people. He lied to them. He was deceiving them. So he's certainly not a good teacher. He's not a good guy. He's, he's, he's a con artist, if this was true. He's ripping people off, um, trying to get them to think he's something that he's not. Um, here, so what are some issues with this? And, and I like, I'll recommend some books to you. Um, I'll recommend three in particular to show this stuff is just, this claim is, is nonsense. 
Um, what are the issues? I mean, so you're really saying all these guys are idiots. Nobody could figure this out. Jesus, these, we often have this mentality that everybody was an idiot or a moron until we came along. We're the smartest, we know the most, and everybody else was an idiot. Uh, minimally uneducated and just uh, nincompoops, you know, uh, backwoods-ish type people, hicks, who just don't know any better. And, and indeed, uh, C.S. Lewis referred to this as a form of what he called chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery, and again, the idea of chron- chronologically speaking, you know, only today are we so bright and intelligent and informed. And everybody else was a country bumpkin who would believe anything. You could sell, you know, manure to a farmer. Um, they were just that dull. Um, and, and so I would argue if you read and study these people, many of them, they're clearly not. These people are as sharp as we are. We just have more accumulated knowledge. Indeed, as someone as well said, if we appear taller, it's because we're standing on their shoulders. It's a case of accumulated knowledge. Um, uh, these people, in many ways, not everybody, but many were very sophisticated. And so, like, oh, nobody could figure this out. Think of Jesus and his alleged resurrection. He not only deceived uh, the so-called country bumpkin Jews there, but the Jewish leaders who were well-educated, but the Romans as well. I mean, he pulls it over on everybody. Nobody has any sense to figure these things out. Um, so, uh, so really he's saying nobody could figure this out, that he was just doing this. By the way, this stuff did go on, and there were people who did stuff, what we would call precedigitation, sleight of hand. Um, and people were aware of things like that. Uh, another issue, this is what's called the form of, of the reductive fallacy. The reductive fallacy can be done in several ways, but one of them is, if I can explain something through one ways, then I assume, uh, it's also a form of a, what's called a presumptive fallacy, but um, I assume that this is the way it was done. So let's say I can explain something, like so, the so-called parting of the Red Sea. I say, well, look, if we do this, uh, we, you know, and I use some technology, or to explain the walls of Jericho falling down the way they did, then I say, see, that proves this is how it was done. No, it doesn't. It proves that there's another way to, minimally there is a way to do it, but it doesn't prove that that's how it was actually done, that Jesus did it by press the digitation, if you will. So that's another problem here. There's just this incredible uh, presumption on people's part who advocate these views that, well, because we could figure out a way something could be done, this is how, this is, must be how it was done. But one more time, we're back to the first premise. These people are really stupid, and you can get over on them. Um, the, the bigger problems or issues are, Jesus says these are the claim to his ministry. But here's the irony. His ministry, he talks about speaking the truth. He talks about being honest. He talks about living in an upright and being a godly life. I mean, uh, granted, that's not how one's saved, but he talks about the need to be perfect in order to be right before God, and since no one is, he pays the penalty for our transgressions. Um, so, that, so, again, it wouldn't disprove it, but there's a radical problem here, because Jesus says these miracles prove who he is. If you look at John 2, for example, 19 through 21, uh, John 2, 19 through 21, he says his resurrection is the, the, the definitive seal of who he is, who he's claiming to be. You see the same thing in John 10. In John 10, he's, people are not believing him, because he claims to be divine, to be God. And he says, believe on me because of the work's sake. And Christ also says, which of you can convict me of sin? Another way to say that is, uh, which of you convicts me of any faults? Now, I'm not going to say that. If I did say that, I'd be joking, and I, or I'd be running out of the room, because if my wife or anybody else was present, they could tell you all kinds of my faults. But Jesus stood there and said, well, I'm waiting. Um, 
So, so that's the problem. Now, there's three books. There's a bunch of books, but, uh, but I'll give you just three. You can look at any one of them that deal with this on various levels. They're all really, really good, some of my favorite books. One of them is called Reinventing Jesus. Jesus, and it looks at the historicity of Jesus and as well the reliability of the Bible. Reinventing Jesus. There's a bunch of authors, including Ed Komaszewski, but people have trouble with that one. So let's just use Daniel Wallace's name. <laughs> Daniel Wallace, mm-hmm. W-A-L-L-A-C-E. Reinventing Jesus. Uh, another book, a little older book, but still really good, has specific stuff on these types of issues, is a book called... Um, I cannot believe it. I'm, gonna, I'm, uh, I'm gonna forget the title, Brian. Uh, Jesus Under Fire. There we go. Edited by uh, Moreland, for example, and, and Wilkins. Uh, but J.P. Moreland, uh, Jesus Under Fire. Uh, there's a, ch- uh, a couple chapters on mi- the miracles and related to this issue. There's actually a mm. whole book on, on stuff like this called In Defense of Miracles. In Defense of Miracles. Miracles in general, but specifically the miracles that are done by Jesus. And that's edited by two guys, Doug Guyvet and Gary Habermas. Let's just use Habermas's name. Um, in defense of miracles, Gary Habermas. Pronounced Habermas, but spelled H-A-B-E-R-M-A-S. H-A-B-E-R-M-A-S. And I lied, I'm actually going to give you four books. Uh, the Historical Jesus by Gary Habermas again. It specifically goes through all these types of claims. The whole book is on the resurrection of Jesus. And there's a, there is a view that even that was a hoax. Indeed, a guy, he did invent it, but a guy who popularized this issue, um, there was a view that uh, basically Jesus just feigned uh, dying. It was all an elaborate ruse that he didn't really die. And that view's been roundly beat up uh, uh, so badly, but sometimes people have never heard of this. So uh, the book... The Historical Jesus by Habermas deals with this and other views uh, that the idea, again, that Jesus, his supreme miracle, or alleged miracle, the resurrection is nothing but an elaborate hoax, i.e. Uh, a very sophisticated prestidigitation, like someone making it look like they can fly or otherwise, and these are all just magician tricks. So there's, those are some sources, and that's how I would deal with this personally. Okay. Um, do you think I have uh, time for another question? Yeah, you do. And let me give the phone number out one more time, ladies and gentlemen. One triple eight LA Talks. One triple eight five two eight two five five seven. We have a bunch of open lines. Let's take advantage of them. Again, this is the last live broadcast of the year. One triple eight LA Talks. One triple eight five two eight two five five seven. Go ahead, Adele. Okay. Um, and John one. With uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was uh, with God, and the Word was God. Um, how do you explain that? Like, what was Jesus and the God the Father? Were they one combined entity or spirit, or were they two separate spirits? Um, how do you how do you explain John one to four? Well, sure, and let me just say this: uh, this is a great question. We actually spent quite a bit of time on this, what, about a month ago or less, Brian? Yeah, right about then. Um, I would recommend that you listen to, to our, our, our downloads on our website, because we actually spent quite a bit of time. I'm willing to go over some of this but with you, but, um, but it's kind of, it gets kind of complicated. But um, we, we spent quite a bit of time on this, um, mm-hmm. Adele, so 
I would encourage you. It's it's barely a month ago, and it was like really right at the first, like the first question of the broadcast, where I dealt with John one, John one one, John actually one one through one three, and so uh, a couple things. And let me just, I'm sorry, I'm going to give you a fifth book now, putting Jesus in his place, putting Jesus in his place. Uh, that book is written by a friend of ours, Robert Bowman, B O W M A N. And Bowman does, I worked with him for years, uh, he does a great job in explaining these types of texts and the issue of the deity of Jesus. And then Rob's really good, for example, with Greek and, and, and for example, dealing with John 1.1. Okay, so I want to recommend that to you. So let me just say a couple things now with that in place. Uh, again, the book, Putting Jesus in His Place, phenomenal book. Rob does a great job, has other books dealing with this this key passage here. And uh, let me just say that the, in the Greek text, John 1.1 1, 1 is written pristinely to avoid two things. Let me do this, say this first, Adele. It avoids modalism. Modalism is the idea that there's only one God and one person in the Godhead. Now, the biblical view is there's one God. There's not three gods. We're not polytheists. We're not tritheists. There's one God. But, but modalism is wrong because there's three persona, or personalities, if you will, it's, um, they're self-reflective identities, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're not three gods. They're not like you, Brian, and me. We we share human nature, but we are three separate and distinct persons, whereas the three persons are distinct in the Godhead, yet they are the one God. The breakdown is in humanity, we have billions of people who've lived or do or will who are human, but in the Godhead there's only three, and so they have the same identity within the nature of the one eternal God, there are eternally three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, of the same nature, or essence, we, we say. So, so the Father's not the Son, the Son's not the Father, nor the Holy Spirit, but the three are the one God. And so John 1.1 1, 1 avoids modalism, but it also avoids polytheism, okay? It, and polytheism, again, would be, be the view that there are multiple gods. Mormonism believes that, for example, or... Uh, other religions are polytheic, the belief in or, and or worship of many deities. Um, hmm. By the way, uh, I, I'm sorry to lay all the books on you, but there's another great book called uh, Charts of Theology and Doctrine by H. Wayne House, H-O-U-S-E, H. Wayne House. And he, this is a lot of charts and graphs. It has you know passages and whatnot, but there's some great charts in there and graphs, and it has, he has some great stuff on this issue. Okay, so those are a couple points. Now let me just address the passage. Literally, the passage actually reads in Greek, anarche en halagos. In the beginning was the word, halagos. And uh, ha there, this O with a, what's called a rough breathing mark is, is the article, the. So in the beginning was the word, kai halagos en prostantean. And the word was with, uh, with God, right? Kai theos en halagos. And the word was God. So, this is this intriguing passage. The reason I read it in Greek because it's fascinating. Because he's with God, yet he is God. Now, normally we say that's a contradiction. Uh, you know, let me put it, if I said it this way: I'm Craig and I'm with Craig. You'd go, what? You know, what do you mean you're with Craig? You are Craig. That's crazy talk, right? You'd say clarify that because there's something wrong with that. But this makes complete sense if he's he's divine. So let me use a different word, but it means the same thing. He's divine, but he's not the Father, and he's not the Holy Spirit. That's why John is written pristinely, saying, in the beginning, again, and arche ein halagos, in the beginning was the Word, kai halagos ein prostantheon, and the Word was with God, face to face or towards God, 
and the Word was God. This can be true if indeed Jesus is the Son of God. He's God the Son. He's divine, but He's not the Father. He's not the Holy Spirit, but He is in an eternal agape, eternal fellowship relationship with them, with the Father, that is, with the Father and the Holy Spirit. The three are the one God. And John 1 1 is written pristinely to capture that. And one more time, to avoid the heresies of modalism and polytheism. Now, does this help at all? Uh, yeah, it does. Um, but what I'll do is I might just go and refer back to the uh, the download that you said that I can hear, yeah. and then I'll hear that yeah, as so, well. So, Eldell, so do me a favor. So, so do do that. Um, think about what I said, but go back to that because we spent more time on this, and it's a little difficult. So, I understand. Go go look at that. And then, if you get a chance, take a look at Bowman's book, Putting Jesus in His Place, and look at the sections on John 1-1. And if you do and or do all that, just give us a call back and say, look, I'm still struggling with this or trying to understand that or I, I'm not sure about the, uh, whatever. Uh, feel free to call us again, and we'll talk some more on it. All right, sounds good. You said the last book was Charts of what? Oh, Charts of Christian Theology and Doctrine. Theology and Doctrine. Okay. By Howe, okay. just like your sounds, H-O-U-S-E. That book is real user-friendly. It's an introductory level to theology, and it has some great sections on the deity of Jesus and on the Trinity. So that's not a you know a book you're going to go, oh, why did he ever recommend this one to me? This is way too heavy. Mm. That's an introductory mm. book. I love it because of the charts and graphs. It's real, we say, user-friendly. Okay. All righty. Okay. Well, all right. I appreciate it. you guys. Have a Merry Christmas hey. and a Happy New Year. Merry right. Christmas Likewise. to you, Wood. Yeah, Adele. And again, feel free to call us back again. We'll talk some more. All right, for sure. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Great. You are listening to the Bible Information Brokers. Eric, are you up? Uh, we have a full board. We have a full uh, open board, you guys. So if you have any questions, now's the time to call. We know it's Christmas Eve. Uh, but uh, if you are listening... Uh, give us a call, one triple eight la talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven one triple eight la talks one triple eight five two eight two five five seven Craig looks like we're gonna be doing some teaching tonight um good yeah the uh I do want to say this uh we are at the end of the year, folks, and we definitely need your your support financially uh Definitely your prayers. Continue to pray for us. Um, but we do need to hear from you financially, okay? And uh, uh, if the Lord leads you to, then we would ask that you support us financially so we can continue paying our radio bills to stay on the air so we can continue to answer your uh, your Bible questions. Now, what you can do, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can go online, go to BibleInfoBrokers.com. BibleInfoBrokers.com. Click on the link that says Support and Donate. Uh, and then from there, uh, you can uh, give. And uh, what um, what it is, it's a very easy way uh, to help support us. And that uh, donation comes to us right away so we can get it into our account. Uh, the other way is you can mail it to us, and I uh, I got a note here that someone had a problem, it was undeliverable, but uh, I just went there today or yesterday and picked up mail at our P.O. box. Uh, make it out to uh, BIB-LBTW, and that is at P.O. Box 90477. 
P.O. Box 90477, Los Angeles, California, 90009. Once again, P.O. Box 90477, Los Angeles, California, 9009. Or what you can do is you can uh, just go to the website, BibleInfoBrokers.com, and you can click on the link that says Support, and uh, you can give right through the Internet. Okay, thank you very, very much for that. You know, Craig, uh, I'm going to throw, since it is uh, Christmas Eve, um, what is... uh, uh, how do you how do you ha- handle the argument when someone says, "Well, um, you know, Christmas uh, wasn't actually on December twenty fifth." As a matter of fact, it was a uh, uh, um, uh, a date where those uh, uh, people worship pagan gods or a pagan god. How do you respond to that? Sure. Um, there's things like Mithraism and whatnot. There were various Eastern religions, and allegedly Mithras was born, for example, on December 25th. Also, the winter uh, um, uh, solstice as well, the shortest day of the year. Um, and so some people say, see, that's just a pagan holiday. Indeed, there, there's at least two claims here, Brian. The bigger claim is, is that, and kind of related even similar to the question about uh, Ian Wilson, if you will, um, uh, that Adele was asking about, you know, the miracles really of Jesus just feigned, just faked, just really fancy, you know, prestidigitation or sleight of hand. Um, that that Christianity borrowed, uh, that I, that's a nice way of saying it, that stole from the pagan or what are called Gnostic Redeemer myths. And this has been roundly refuted. Uh, one book that's just phenomenal among many, I have a number of articles and books and so on and so forth, but uh, Shattering the Christ Myth. Uh, Shattering the Christ Myth by J.P. Holding, H-O-L-D-I-N-G. Shattering the Christ Myth deals with this question um, about Christianity, for example, being a knockoff of some Mithraism. Um, but, but, so that's, that's the bigger claim. But let's look at this, Brian. Why December 25th? Now, the second issue, some will say, well, look, he couldn't have been born on December 25th because there's no shepherds out at that time. It's too cold. The sheep aren't out at that time. Um, that's not true. <laughs> Go to Israel today, uh, they're sheep out. Okay, so first of all, sometimes again, people just need to do with their homework and be careful. Um, this is, you know, I, I always chuckle, especially to my students, they can't find stuff. I'm like, I'm the old guy. How come I can get on the computer and find something in like 10, 15 seconds? Um, no, uh, the, the sheep are out. It's fairly still, mild climate, relatively speaking, in Israel because of its uh, the location. Sheep are out this time of the year, and they rotate them around. So that's not true either. So it could, it, it, it's definitely not the case that Jesus couldn't have been born December 25th. And some will say, well, okay, whatever, whatever. But still, it's, it's, it's the birthday of Mithras, and it's got pagan connections. So why would you do that? This is clearly a, a capitulation to paganism. No. The early church, right, wrong, or indifferent, that is, agree or disagree, they said, basically, we got all these people, these converts and others we're trying to reach, are people who become Christians, but they, they want, they're, they're giving in, they're getting involved in the revelry of this pagan holiday uh, that goes on at this time of the year. And so the Church said, again, one more time, right, wrong, or indifferent, it's, it's, not some, it's not, if you can't beat them, join them, but it's like, instead of just taking away from our people, why don't we try to Christianize this holiday why don't we try to convert it? And, and so they have a reason to have a celebration, to have feasts. 
uh, to have, you know, uh, a good day of feasting and celebratory activities, celebrating the birth of Christ. Now, some people think that's wrong and shouldn't have done it. Some are indifferent. Some think it's a great idea. Whatever the case, that's the thinking of the early church. We're going to convert this pagan holiday to honor the birth of Christ, and we're not just going to say to people, don't do this. In other words, because often it's kind of the joke is Christians are known not so much by what they do or what they believe, but by what they don't believe or what they don't believe. And it's like they were thinking, look, let's, let's make this proactive or positive and give the people an alternative uh, to celebrate uh, a, Christ, a Christian theme, indeed the, uh, one of the greatest Christian themes, the birth of Christ. And, and I do want to say this. If people say, look, I define Christian pagan, and I don't want to have anything to do with it, I'm, I'm not going to try to convert you. I have arguments both ways. Uh, this issue's come up. I've studied it for years. Um, not that I have all the answers, but I mean, I spent a lot of time on it. Um, but, but you know, Brian, I, I would have to, but I do want to point out to people, then you should get rid of the months. The days of the months are all named after pagan deities, and so on, for that matter, are the days. So if you want to be consistent, then don't even use the days, and don't use the months either, the, their names, because they're all pe- named after pagan deities. Uh, so, at any rate, um, my motto is never to compromise, never to do something wrong, but sometimes if we can meet people where they are, and not compromising, not, not sin, I think of Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, he wanted to become all things to all people, that by some means he could win some. So I don't become a drunk to the drunkard. I don't become, you know, uh, uh, the drug user to the drug user. But I can go a long ways in trying to relate to people where they are, not just trying to expect them to come where I am or we are. So at any rate, that, those would be my thoughts on this issue of, of December 25th and whether Christ was born there or not, and should we really be celebrating uh, this, hol- this holiday. All right. Thank you so much, Craig. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're getting ready to go to uh, top of our break. We're going to get this question in from Marilyn, and then uh, probably won't uh, get it completed, but we will take it uh, on the other side of the break or continue it on the other side of the break. Toll-free number, one la talks one 528 Two five five seven. A little bit well, over. Brian? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. The number, but I thought uh, I'd like to say something before we actually take any more calls. Oh, okay. One triple eight LA talks. One triple eight five two eight two five five seven. We have some open lines. Let's get them lit up. Eric's waiting for your call. Go ahead, Craig. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. I do want to say that you know, celebrating Christmas is whatever your view is and how you interact with it. And yeah, I know it's often an excuse for crass commercialism, materialism, I get that. Um, But it really can and should be about the birth of Christ. And it's not just the birth of Christ, but who becomes and grows up to be the man and to be the savior of the world. Um, You know, the the significance of Christmas, this isn't a happy time for everybody. There are people who are miserable, who really sense their loneliness, and uh, they've been alienated from their family or other friends or what have you. They're isolated, and they feel really alone. Um, you know, there, there's people have all kinds of feelings. Well, they, you know, all the fault are all, but they still don't feel that, that deep joy and abiding happiness. And we get that because Christmas is really about a, not just a baby, but about a man, the Savior, the God man, fully human, fully divine, who came human to meet us to fulfill um, our problems. And what I mean by that is that we've been alienated from God. We've been separated from God because of our sins, because of our imperfections, because we've gone our own way and told God basically where he can go get off or take a hike. 
And so we've been alienated from God, estranged, separated. You know, almost everybody listening, Brian, is separated or has been at one time from a, a spouse or uh, it's not a spouse, but a, uh, a sibling, a brother, sister, a parent, a child, grandchild, uh, people at work, somebody was your best or a really good friend or a friend at one time, and now they're not, whether it was your fault or not. But you know I'm talking about separation. But, Brian, we are separated from God even more radically so. And Christ enters the world. God becomes man, becomes human, to relate to us, and not just to relate to us, to pay the price, the penalty for our sins, our transgressions that separated us from God in the first place. And for those who receive God's gift, the ultimate gift, the Christmas gift, is Christ himself. That's the ultimate Christmas gift, trusting him as your personal Lord and Savior. And that's what we want to hold out to people today. That's what we want to say to you is, whatever you do, you know, if you don't receive a gift from us, no big deal. But please don't ever miss God's gift. Don't refuse God's gift. God's gift is indeed himself, that is his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him as your Lord and Savior and receive what he gives you. And he gives you, literally, no exaggeration, nothing short of eternal life. Life and that more abundantly. Life that was meant to be. Don't miss out on that, my friend, because no matter, you may get all the quote-unquote Christmas presents in the world. You could be the wealthiest person in the world just happening to be listening to this program, or certainly one of them. But if you miss Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then, my friend, you are the poorest of people. You, you are indeed in extreme poverty, because life is more than possessions. We're not knocking possessions, but the ultimate meaning, significance, purpose, fulfillment of life is found in a personal relationship with God, and that is only through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and your credit card or whatever can't buy that. Nothing can buy God's love and His favor and His acceptance, but He freely gives it to you. Do not refuse it, but trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Receive God's Christmas gift to you today. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for that, Craig. Ladies and gentlemen, those are the most important words you're going to hear at all in your life, really, without question. The most important words. And if you don't know Christ, you definitely need to. And if you have any questions about it, give us a call. All right, we are at the top of the break. Marilyn, uh, don't go anywhere. You're going to be our first call on the other side of the break. Uh, let me give you the number. Toll-free, 1-888-LA-TALKS, 1-888-528-2557. Once again, we have some open lines. 1-888-LA-TALKS, 1-888-528-2557. Go on the web, uh, BibleInfoBrokers.com. Click on uh, Contact Us. We'll be back. <laughs> 